Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of the Compliance Report International Edition. In this episode, I visit with Doreen Edelman, a partner at Baker and Donaldson in Washington, D.C., and we talk about the status of the current NAFTA talks. We uh, consider both the substance of the talks and the positions recently articulated by the uh, United States. We consider the uh, content requirement for autos to the American uh, automobile industry. We take a look at the proposal for a termination sunset clause that would formally end NAFTA every five years unless agreed upon, uh, unless agreed reauthorization and extension by the parties. We consider the um, attempt to amend the dispute resolution framework currently outlined in NAFTA and uh, certain parties who want to eliminate the arbitration panels and make them non-binding or voluntary. We consider the um, proportion of the party's government procurement budget available to NAFTA NAFTA member countries and how Mexico and Canada want more access to U.S. government contracts, where the uh, current Commerce Secretary believes that this process is unfair. Finally, we consider the uh, supply management system utilized in Canada uh, for uh, certain products such as dairy, chicken, eggs, and turkey. And the current protections have been in place since the 60s and set prices that protect Canadian farmers from competition. Uh, the U.S. Uh, negotiators have declared this is government outreach, overreach rather, that runs uh, contrary to free market principles. So a wide variety of topics. Doreen talks about not only the substance of some of these points, but really the tone in the negotiations or at this point, the United States is simply demanding concessions from the other side. We consider the possible ramifications of a pullout by President Trump from NAFTA and how he would go about doing that. Finally, she considers the role of Congress in all of this and the uh, uh, interest by Congress in the NAFTA negotiations and how they're starting to speak up. This is Tom Fox. The Compliance Report International Edition is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again for another episode. And today, I am very pleased to have back with me Doreen Edelman. Doreen is a partner at Baker Donaldson in Washington. She previously helped us understand and take a deep dive into the uh, TILIA FCPA enforcement action. But today, we're going to talk about a different subject, yet one that is near and dear to my heart and indeed to many of us who are on a border state with another foreign country. I'm in Texas, so obviously Mexico is next to us. But for those up north, uh, you might have Canada. Doreen, it turns out, is one of the country's top experts on NAFTA and the current NAFTA talk. So I asked her if she might come over to the podcast again and help us understand kind of where we are in the NAFTA talks. It's sometimes difficult to pick out the wheat from the chaff, uh, based upon the news reports we get. So with that somewhat long-winded introduction, Doreen, thanks. And uh, where do you see we are at least uh, in October with uh, the ongoing NAFTA talks? Well, uh, thanks, Tom. Where we are? Well, you know, I suppose it'll depend again who you ask. The fourth round concluded on October 17th. And uh, like every other round, the Three parties issue a joint statement. This time, the statement was very short, and uh, they acknowledged that this this round took place in Washington, D.C. They rotate among the three different countries. Uh, 
and it lasted for uh, a full seven days of discussions. They had 20-some different negotiating teams that covered different subject areas, and the progress that they could report out uh, was very limited. They basically said that they did come to some agreement on fairness in the enforcement of competition laws, some transparency rights in competition laws. They fixed some of these sectoral annexes, cleaning things up after 23 years. They were able to agree on some trade facilitation, customs matters for uh, truckers crossing the border, things that obviously uh, have been important to Texas regulatory practices, some of uh, administrative, if you will, actions. But the complaints were loud and clear that the U.S. government had dropped new issues on the table, and they weren't just new issues based on the policy of the three countries working together to better North America. They were Trump's uh, pro-U.S., more protectionist, uh, if you will, anti-free trade in some cases, points. So they weren't received really well. Because of it, they decided that they needed a longer period between the next round, which was supposed to start this week. So they pushed that back to November 17th to give time for the countries to go back, think about things, and perhaps maybe share some drafts between the countries of the next proposal. So uh, that's where we are. Uh, it's going to be difficult going forward, but it will be done. And the good news is no one walked out of the meetings. No one threatened to quit. Trump did not continue threatening, at least uh, on October 17th, didn't threat to pull out of the NAFTA. And just uh, to alleviate any fears, if, uh, if anyone is listening and worried about that, uh, President Trump can announce an intention to withdraw from the agreement, but he cannot unilaterally just pull out of the agreement. He has to give a six-month notice, and then the U.S. may. It's not required to pull out of the agreement. And even if we do pull out, Canada and Mexico will continue. So um, we don't even want to think about that because that would make a very awkward uh, set of facts to work through. Uh, I can give you some follow-up, or I can tell you where we think the uh, next issues are going to be, and then we can talk about where everyone's position is relating to those issues. So uh, that that's a really a great opening, because one of the things that's been difficult for us to ascertain, at least reading the, the press reports, is the posturing that's going on. Is it political posturing for the folks back home? Is it truly a negotiating strategy for those sitting across the table, or are there substantive disputes on the extent uh, there should be um, such things as uh, the supply management system in Canada vis-a-vis uh, -vis a more free trade approach? Can maybe you help us understand kind of that dynamic? Yeah, that is, that's a great question, and there's a little bit of everything, so we'll break it down. I, mean, I think everyone would agree that there's one thing we've learned about the president is that he, he does want to be seen as a great negotiator. So certainly there's posturing. 
However, the fact that he did not threaten to withdraw from the NAFTA in the last couple weeks is a sign that some have interpreted that he really does want to get a deal done. Now, he's also been up on the Hill. Uh, in fact, on the 25th, he went up and met with a group of members of Congress, and he, uh, I would use the word pleaded, but with Trump, that's probably not a, a fair interpretation, but he reminded them to stay with him, stay with him, stay with him, and trust him that he's going to get a better deal. So he he's posturing, but he's also posturing to get to what he sees as a higher level and a better deal. The problem is that he wants a better deal. You know, what, what's defined as a better deal depends on who you're talking to. His better deal may not benefit Texans or those in Michigan or those in Florida, but it may be a better deal for, you know, those in Ohio on different, that manufacture different products. Um, he, he wants a lot back from the negotiations. And as the Commerce Secretary Ross said, the problem is we don't have a lot to give. So we're trying to negotiate, but what we're really for is asking, we're really asking for concessions. So, uh, what did Canada and Mexico think of this? Some of these issues, as you alluded to, are substantive issues for them uh, that they've got political issues about at home. Um, some of them, some of the issues they feel are just extreme and just crazy. Like, uh, let's take one, for example, the biggest one uh, in my mind is the U.S. content requirement. If you keep in mind that NAFTA is a regional agreement and it's supposed to be a regional agreement benefiting the region, and then you've got President Trump who wants to take that 62.5 North American content and raise that, and at the same time, he wants to raise that to 85%, but then he wants to add another content test where U.S. content is required of 50%. Well, that, that's not pro the region, and it is not the purpose that NAFTA was created to address. And when we had a joint policy agreement among the three countries to raise the standard of living in the North American region. So the, the, the domestic content to some people is, is so egregious, they can't even discuss it because it flies in the face of the purpose of NAFTA to begin with, and what's going to be the result of it? The result is, all right, so if you've got, well, there's, there's, there's several points we can discuss with this, but the bottom line is it could backfire. It could be hurting all those auto workers left in the United States because the duty on automotives coming into the U.S. from Mexico is only 2.5%. So if you don't bring in cars under NAFTA, you're only going to be paying 2.5%. However, if you're a U.S. consumer, you're going to be paying more for your car. Uh, Mexico isn't as worried about the vehicles, but they're, they're certainly worried about, say, trucks or commercial vehicles, because those are not made in Mexico. So they're either going to have to pay or the shipper, whoever's bringing them in, wherever you're taking them back and forth, the, the duty on the trucks would go up to 25%. So the bottom line there is 
they're not going to buy them from the United States. They're going to buy them from somebody else. So it's like if you dig deep into any of these issues on the first level, you think you're helping the U.S. or Trump must think he's helping the first, uh, you know, the U.S. But if you dig deeper, you see that there's consequences to all of this. Others are complaining about uh, what should the right domestic content be and what is it really now? Do we care if the U.S. content is 50% or not? Are we concerned about how much is coming in from China going into those cars in Mexico and then coming to the U.S.? Some say that it's high. Some say that it isn't. Some say the U.S. value in a Mexican car is as high as 38% already. So, you know, it, it isn't China heavy. But getting from 38% to 50% is a larger jump than what the numbers uh, mean. And that's not the goal. The whole point that Trump says we want to do this is to reduce the trade deficit. Well, many others say the trade deficit has nothing to do with this regional agreement. So you got people on all sides of it. This is why this is so complicated and so uh, consuming for so many people. You're, everyone has a different situation and they're, they're on so many different sides of the issue. It, one more point, the five-year sunset clause. This is another one that's highly controversial, not just within the U.S., but also with Mexico and Canada. The Trump administration wants to have this automatic, formal ending of the NAFTA agreement every five years. The, the reason was that, well, they'll buy more in the last year because they'll be worried whether we're going to renew it. That, that's not a, a reason to have a five-year sunset clause. The whole point of the NAFTA, again, was long-term predictability, long-term supply chain. It's just nonsensical to think that businesses can do business together among the three countries, and at every uh, three and a half years, they've got to start worrying and start lobbying to be concerned with how NAFTA is going to change in the fifth year or whether the U.S. president is going to reauthorize it. Right. I mean, that, again, people just get tongue-tied when you start to think about how, in their opinion, how ludicrous and crazy this is. So the, you know, two of the things that it brought to at least the great state of Texas were stability and consistency. And it seemed to me that this sunset provision really uh, would drive a, a stake through the heart of those two. Uh, but it, um, uh, frankly, from what I hear of the Trump negotiating style, creating this kind of chaos is about par for the course. Uh, let me turn to one of the uh, things that it hasn't gotten as much play, but I bumped up against it in my former life as a trial lawyer, and that's the dispute resolution framework. Um can you explain why the U.S. would want to eliminate uh, this or at least make them non-binding or perhaps even voluntary? Yeah, and this is not a provision that is sitting well with Mexico and Canada. And, and when you talked about is there substance here or is this political? Again, this is an issue that raises both concerns because if 
the president succeeds in requiring the removal of the investor state dispute settlement provisions, he will then garner the support of some of the Democrats because uh, this week or last week, I guess, a group of 200, 200 professors, academics, think tank people all got together to discuss this issue. And the bottom line is that the academics all believe that having this ISDS provision in the agreement is contrary, arguably, to the Constitution. And they do take, they take away certain rights that we don't have in the agreement, you're going to lose the rights that you would have in this country if you were able to get into court. So you don't have all the protections, and that's the reason that the academics support getting rid of the ISDS. So there could be a political interest there in the administration to get the support of progressives uh, to do that. Uh, but on the other hand, you've got Canada, who's very touchy about this issue, uh, when it's been discussed at least in the uh, Chapter 19 context, which was regarding the anti-dumping and the CBD issues, when dispute settlement on those issues was brought up and there was talk of getting rid of uh, the procedure, Canada actually walked out of the room. So uh, to get this through, uh, it's not going to be an easy sell for Canada and Mexico. And again, what does the U.S. have to give to get? That, that's the big question on all of this. So we've gone through a lot of information, uh, Doreen, and some of it, probably most of it, doesn't sound real positive. Uh, do you see any positive signs of where the negotiations might be now? Or do you think we're, we're really more in a, a, a pattern of holding and or clarification of the positions of the parties? No, well, the, it's, it's time for the serious negotiations to begin. Because remember, these, these hard issues were just discussed for the first time in the fourth round. So we've got the fifth round coming up, and then the sixth round in early uh, 2018. So they're going to have to get into the meat on these three issues, on government procurement. Uh, right now, NASA talks about a proportional amount of, of its party's government procurement budget has to be eligible for other NAFTA members. But the U.S. wants to cap it at the dollar level rather than a proportionate amount. Uh, that's not good for Mexico and Canada. So that's probably, maybe that is something that could be negotiated away. Then you've got the supply management issue that you talked about. I mean, that is a big issue for the northern states in the United States. I mean, it, and a lot of Canadian consumers. Right now, they haven't been able to purchase eggs and dairy products coming out of Wisconsin that would lower the consumer price in Canada. But nobody in Canada has really wanted to go up against their massive lobby. I mean, these requirements have been in place since the 1960s and early 70s. So maybe maybe uh, we're not going to win on that, and that could be seen as a gift to Canada. Uh, 
it's, you know, it's like there's two sides to everything on this. On the seasonal produce, that's something that affects Texas. Texas and Florida, they really want the dumping provisions to be expanded or to be revised, I suppose, so that the threshold can be met for uh, U.S. produce that's fighting against seasonal products coming in from Mexico. You got Florida wanting to go one way and perhaps Texas wanting to go another. Or you probably got people in Texas on both sides of it, depending if you're a buyer or seller. Uh, Mexico is willing to consider some of this, but they're talking about the seasonal issue as a red line for them. So uh, there again, that, that's another issue that really has to be discussed to see if there is any room for negotiation. And that's what's making some members of Congress upset about this, because Congress is supposed to be in involved in this process. These NAFTA objectives were released in July, and the Trump administration has not met with members of Congress since then to show revised objectives or to work with Congress to get objectives where Congress feels comfortable that there actually is a joint uh, regional policy of how we're trying to raise the North American standard of living so that there are goals that they can negotiate towards. Uh, and for some members of commerce, they feel that they have the pulse on what their constituents really need and the White House may not, and they want to be involved specifically in the process. I mean, you mentioned accountability and certainty. I mean, they're the words that are coming out of some of the Republican chairs in Congress on the Ways and Means Committee. They, too, they want to see strong enforcement and uh, dispute settlement. So everyone's got their own thing. Uh, Senator Toomey in Pennsylvania, he's saying that this is anti-free trade, that this is not how we're supposed to go through NAFTA. You've got Brady, who's talking about enforcement and dispute settlement. You've got Senate Finance Committee member Ron Wyden and Congress. So everyone knows the Ways and Means and the Senate Finance Committee are the committees that have jurisdiction over trade. But you, Ron Wyden, who now this last week said that he would not approve any more of the Trump administration's nominations coming up before his committee until the Trump administration provides more guidance on its updated objectives. Kansas, Senator Roberts of Kansas, he's very concerned about the agricultural issues. And, you know, that Trump keeps saying, trust me, trust me. He's, he's worried that that's going to be on the back of the agricultural industry. I mean, he even went so far as to say, this is like Trump is telling us, let Humpty Dumpty fall off the wall. He'll be in a hundred pieces, but then we'll pick them up and try and glue them back together. He feels like that we're pursuing these negotiations backwards, if you will. We're supposed to have concrete objectives and then negotiate towards them rather than these extreme positions. And then we back off of them and see what we can get. So there's a lot of uh, problems or discussions within the U.S. on what we really want problems with Mexico and Canada. And then don't forget that you've got China 
involved in this in several ways. Canada has done a deal with the European unions and now they're looking at doing a deal with China. You've got uh, the China issue with the auto parts and Mexico. You've got the precedent set on this, this deal when things like state ownership, which is something else we didn't talk about, SMEs, state-owned enterprises, SOEs, sorry, and if we should be excluding or monitoring entities owned or controlled by the government, or if they have control but they don't actually have 50% ownership. So enlarging what considers the government entity, expanding the scope on what's considered a state-owned enterprise. And Canada may not be willing to do that because they don't want it to affect the other agreements that they're now involved in with global free trade. You've got Canadian and Mexican entities as well that are state-owned but are not actually government-controlled. So that it's not a simple issue for our trading partners as it is for us since we don't have our government having a distinction between state-owned and government-controlled. So, Doreen, when we started the podcast, you gave us some of the key dates, uh, both uh, in the past and those going forward. Do you see at any point in the future which we're really coming up against a deadline where it's going to be time to fish or cut bait that uh, the U.S. is going to actually have to negotiate instead of stopping demanding for concessions or it's uh, just we're going to set us down the road to a revocation of the treaty? I, I, I hope uh, your scenario is not how it happened. I hope there's serious negotiating being done now between these negotiating teams. And remember, these are all really seasoned professionals that have been negotiating for years. These are the people that were negotiating the TPP and beginning to work on the TTIP. So they're all professionals on all three sides. They're diligently working on it. Congress is getting more active and more vocal. Just uh, last week, you had the Chamber of Commerce speak up on behalf of 130 representatives, and they're starting, uh, you know, a, a campaign on the Hill. They're starting to demand that these issues be uh, properly, properly isn't the right word, um, moderately, you know, fairly considered. You've got the automotive companies that have set up a new coalition. Oh, the name of it is good. It's like driving driving trade. I'll try and find my notes to remember the name of that. Uh, so you're, you're going to see a ramp up. Oh, driving American jobs. So all the free trade coalitions are going to come out uh, helping, uh, helping Trump and the administration solidify where they really need to be in their negotiations. And, you know, and maybe President Trump has got his pulse on this and he knows exactly what he's doing. Like he says, you know, he, the members of Congress just feel that he hasn't built up a lot of credibility with them, but maybe, you know, he knows he's publicly saying all this rhetoric and these extreme provisions, but he does have a, a position somewhere a little down the line that the negotiators feel they can get the Canadians and the Mexicans to, uh, meet us halfway and that they can get maybe not everything they want, 
but some of the things they want without destroying NAFTA fundamental principles and how uh, our companies and Mexican and Canadian companies have been working together all these years. So let's hope they can make progress without destruction. Well, I guess this is going to be uh, a work in progress and for our purposes, probably a conversation in progress, Doreen. I hope that uh, I can tap back into your expertise in uh, a few more months and uh, maybe we'll have a a little more rosy news for uh, our audience. I'm, you know, despite all the rhetoric and all the uh, all sides uh, falling apart, because this is, as we've discussed, an emotional issue and I mean, personal issue for many, many people. Um, I, I have to believe that we are not going to let this fall apart. I mean, this agreement is vital. I mean, it's how many one point. $2 trillion in trade. I think 11 states have about 30% of their GDP going outside of the U.S. to Mexico and Canada. I mean, it, it's a little late to try and roll back. I mean, improve, uh, add some environment, add some labor provisions, add some digital trade, fix some of the regulatory issues. That's another issue. I think part of the problem with the, this push for more regulatory is the name. I don't think they should call it regulatory. I think they should call it deregulation. And then they would probably have a little more uh, warm welcome talking about uh, tweaking some of the regulatory provisions. So all we can do is hope, uh, pay attention, and um, talk to right into your members of Congress. I mean, it, it is really vital and true that you contact your members, your senators, and your Congress people, and let them know your particular situation, because that is how uh, they're going to react when the bill does get to Congress. Well, Doreen, it's been a fascinating uh, discussion. Uh, Unfortunately, we're near the end of our time. Once again, I've been visiting with Doreen Edelman, partner at Baker Donaldson in Washington. We've been talking about the current status of the NAFTA talks. We based it on a blog post she had on her site, which is entitled Significant Conceptual Gaps Persist. NAFTA talks extend to 2018. Doreen, thank you, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you again for listening to this episode of the Compliance Report International Edition. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and get the word out about the only podcast in compliance focusing exclusively on international issues. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks again for listening. I hope you'll join me again for another episode of the Compliance Report International Edition. The Compliance Report International Edition is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.